Good morning to everybody. Glad you guys are able to make it today. The subject we're going to talk about this morning is one that I think is important. It's challenging, and it comes to us from the book of Revelation. And the title that you see up there is Shining Light or Casting Shadows. And this is an important distinction between two things. I think when we look at this letter that Jesus Christ gives to John, asks him to take this to the church in Ephesus, we see something that talks a lot about what our priorities, what our witness, what we look like, act like, feel like to the rest of the world turns out to be. It is going to step on our own toes. It's challenging for me when I look at these different issues, but that's kind of where God has called us to, so that's what we're going to do. This, for those who don't know, is the inside of a Piper Cub. This is a very small airplane, does a whopping 90 miles an hour in the air. You can outrun this thing in your car. Uh, the dials that you see there are obviously very simple. And the reason that they're simple is because this is a pretty simple airplane. It just flies. That's what it does. The stuff in the middle in particular is important. How fast are you going? How high are you? What direction are you moving? Now, this plane was built in 1938 or designed in 1938. This is the inside of a P-38 fighter plane. It was designed and built about a year later. It'll fly 440 miles an hour, carry bombs and guns and all sorts of stuff like that. Much more capable, obviously more complicated. A lot more dials and things, but hidden in there, you'll notice you've got little bits and pieces that are exactly the same as what you saw in that cub. Those are the things that are important. Now, all those other dials mean something. They all tell you something, but they're not super critical. That is the inside of the Concorde. Uh, that's a plane that came out in the late 1960s. It's a passenger jet that flies faster than the speed of sound. Yeah, wow. Uh, wow, also because you can see you need three seats for people to keep track of everything. All those dials, all those indicators, all that everything in there. Again, everything that's on those dials in there is true. Everything it says means something. But nothing on any of those other dials is any more important than those little bits and pieces you saw in that Piper Cub. At the end of the day, flying is flying. So if you were going to teach somebody how to fly a plane, if you're going to tell them this is what it means to fly, which one of these are you going to use to introduce the person? Well, you don't put a rookie in the Concorde. They're going to get distracted. At the same time, if you were only going to focus on certain things, there's certain things you have to focus on. And the point and the purpose behind this is why we're going to talk about what we're talking about here today. We as a church need to be focused on the right things in the right way, not because other things are not important, not because other things are not true or false, but because as soon as we start getting distracted by other things and we give them too much attention, too much time, too much importance, now we're not doing what we're supposed to do anymore. When we talk about misplaced priorities, we're really talking about this. Are we shining light? Are we casting shadows? Jesus Christ is supposed to be our light. As a church, he is the focus of everything that we believe, everything that we are, everything that we do. The core truths of who Christ is, that's our first love. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us you need to know all these things and think all these things and believe all these things in order to come to me. You start with Christ. That's what we're supposed to be coming to first. A lot of other ideas can be true or false. And I'm going to repeat this 
over and over and over because it's very easy to misunderstand. Nobody is saying that these other things, that these other ideas don't mean anything or that they're not true or that they're not false, but they're not primary. What we don't want to do is we don't want to block the light. We're supposed to be showing people the light of Christ. We don't want to put other things in between that light and that person, even if we mean well, even if those things are true. Here we say, misplaced priorities. It's like vacuuming the carpet while your house is on fire. <laughs> but isn't it important to have a clean house? Yes, it's good. There's a lot of positive things about a clean house. Not nearly as important as the fire extinguisher in the current moment. When we talk about some of the things we're going to discuss today, they're challenging. They are. They're difficult for me. They're difficult for us to think about, but they are important things. And we're going to start naming some of them. Politics, political parties, political candidates, social issues, interpretations of Genesis, interpretations of Revelation. Nobody's saying that those particular things themselves, you don't have to think about, you shouldn't have a stance on. It doesn't matter. No, it matters. They mean something. It's important. What we can't do is let those things drown out, crowd out who and what we are supposed to be as believers. So we are going to start a series where we're talking about Christ's messages to the seven churches. And we'll sprinkle these in and out as some of the elders have a chance to come up here and discuss them. But all of these messages come from the book of Revelation. John is on Patmos. He gets messages from Jesus Christ and he tells him, Christ tells John, Here's what I want you to tell the church at Ephesus, at Smyrna, at Philadelphia. And he writes these letters down. And they all have a few things in common. They're written to the angels of the churches. Most people think that that means the leadership, the person who's sort of overseeing the church. In all of these, Jesus does a few things in common. He identifies himself. He gives himself some sort of a description. He praises or criticizes the church. Some of them only get one or the other. He gives some sort of instruction, and then he gives a promise. And that promise is always phrased as to the one who conquers. So we see the same thing with the church at Ephesus, and that's the message that we have here. So this is from Revelation 2, uh, starting in verse 1 and going through until verse number 7. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Please pray with me. Father, we appreciate your word. Uh, we appreciate that it is eternal. It is true. It is perfect. Uh, Lord, we thank you that the truth that you show us in, our, in this word never changes, but you give us the ability to apply it to who we are and where we are and all the situations that we find ourselves in. 
Lord, this morning we ask that you would give us clarity, that you would help us to understand your word clearly, that you would continue to bless all the efforts of our church and give us safety until we come again together. In your name, amen. So in this message to Ephesus, we see those patterns that we saw in all of these other letters when we looked at Revelation. Jesus is identifying himself as the one among the lights. He's praising Ephesus for their doctrinal accuracy. You notice in that letter to Ephesus, he doesn't tell them you're wrong. That's important because in other messages to other churches in that same passage, Jesus does tell some of these other churches, you are participating in sin. You believe wrong things. He doesn't say that to Ephesus. He's not telling Ephesus, the problem is you've got the wrong view or the wrong conclusion. That is not what's going on. They're on the right track. They have the right doctrines. They have the right beliefs. But they're being criticized for something twice. He tells them that they're supposed to repent of that. They've gotten away from this first love. Something that they used to do or that they used to be that they're not anymore. Now, he does temper this a little bit by talking about the Nicolaitans, and we'll get into that a little bit later. We really don't know that much about them. But the warning that is given to Ephesus is that they need to repent or they're going to lose their light. Other churches are given criticisms where Jesus says things like, I'm going to fight against you. Jesus doesn't say that to Ephesus. He doesn't say, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to fight against you. He says, I'm going to take away your light. I think what we're seeing in this for us today is there are a lot of things that we can get involved in as Christians, as Hope Church, as the church. And I will repeat this over and over because it's so easy to misunderstand. It's not that those other things, politics, certain doctrines, certain social issues or movements, it's not that there's no right or wrong answers to those. It's not that they're not important, but they are not primary my job is not to drag other people through those issues to try to get them to Christ. My responsibility as a believer is to show them Christ. Let him take care of the rest of it. Trust that he will take care of the rest of it. My responsibility as a believer is to shine light, not to cast shadows. Amen. So, a little bit of background at Bible Ref, we're really, really big into context because context helps us tremendously when we're trying to understand Scripture. When we look at what history tells us and the Bible tells us, it gives us good information. The church in Ephesus is a real place. It's in what today we would call Turkey. And it was a big city, a lot of money moving around, a lot of very interesting religious beliefs. Some were strange versions of Christianity. Some were completely pagan all over the place. A lot of interesting things going on. In the Bible, we get some really helpful information. In Acts, we see in Ephesus debates going on back and forth between non-believers and evangelists. We see actual riots that happen because Christians are preaching the word and idol makers are going, you're taking away our business. Nobody's buying our stuff anymore. And they get upset about it. In 1 Corinthians, Paul actually talks about his experience in Ephesus and he refers to it as fighting with wild beasts. So this was some pretty intense stuff. Paul also writes a book that we call Ephesians. It's an epistle. It's a letter to this exact church that John's letter to goes in Revelation. Now, what's interesting about this is Paul writes his letter 30, 40 years before what we see in Revelation. Now, in Revelation, we see it talking about you've abandoned your first love. Go back to the, 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 the things that you did 
at first. So when we look at what scripture has to say, we get a chance to sort of see what was Ephesus doing, thinking, believing in the past. And that gives us a lot of good context to understand where that's coming from. And what we really see is a focus on the truly important issues. We see a focus on things that are salvation, sanctification, focus on Christ, focus on who we are in him and what he wants us to do. So in our letter to Ephesus that Jesus has here, he starts off with his identity. And the identity that he talks about is the one among the stars, walking among the lights. This has a lot to do with Christ's supremacy. Jesus Christ is the one who is in control. He is the sovereign one. When Jesus talks about these issues, he's not saying this is a suggestion. He's not saying this would maybe be a good idea in my opinion. He starts off by saying, I am the one who holds these in my hand. I am the one who tells you these things. That adds a lot of weight later on. When he gives the warning to Ephesus, it's the one who holds the light, who holds the stars, who talks about this. When Ephesus is praised, they're praised for things like patience, for holding fast. They're not tolerating blatant sin or wrong doctrine. Again, this is an important distinction because when we look at other churches in this part of Revelation, they're getting slammed for some of the things that they're being involved with. The reason this is such an important point for us to remember is this idea that the point Jesus is making to Ephesus is not, my problem with you is you're wrong. He's not saying my problem with you is you've come to the wrong conclusion. His problem is you are not properly prioritizing what you're doing. You have gotten away from your first love. They're in the middle of this pagan culture, all of this sin and strange belief around them. They're holding to the right things. They believe what they're supposed to believe. They have the right views. But twice, Christ tells them you have to repent and go back, do the works that you did at first. Now that works is important because a lot of times when we hear the word love, we think of emotion. And that's okay, because that's how we use the term in English in the modern world. Now in the Bible, love has a lot more to do with the things that you do. It's not that emotion has nothing to do with it, but notice Jesus doesn't say, you need to get back to feeling the way you felt. He says, repent, do the works that you did at first. That's what he's calling them to. So, the criticism that he gives Ephesus is falling away from something. Some earlier form or expression of love. You need to get back to this. You need to go back to this. Now, what he says about the Nicolaitans is, is curious, but it's also helpful. Because Jesus basically says, you are really good at this, Ephesus. You're doing very well with this. However, you're not doing very well with this. But as I'm telling you this, you're, you're doing okay on this one point. Something about the Nicolaitans, and we don't know exactly what they taught, what they believed. Something about the Nicolaitans interferes with the way the church is supposed to be seen in the world. What Christ is saying is, you need to get back to your first love. And at the same time, he's saying, there are times where you do need to sort of step outside of those basics and be willing to take a stand on something. In other words, Jesus isn't saying under no circumstances should you ever have an opinion, a view, a stance on these other things. That's not what he's saying. In fact, sometimes we should. Sometimes we do need to, but it can't be our primary thing. That criticism is that they need to get back to their first love. When we look at the rest of what scripture has to say, 
we're going to see how that first love is this idea of speaking truth in love. And that comes down to basically two things, salvation, sanctification. What's my relationship with Christ? Am I submissive to him? Am I listening to him? Do I honor him? And then sanctification. Do I live out what he wants me to do? Am I showing the world what it means to be his hands and feet? Am I living life, doing life the way he wants me to do this? It's not about preferences. It's not about opinions. Remember, Ephesus isn't criticized for having the wrong belief. He's not saying, you know, the problem is you're just not thinking right about this issue or that issue or this person or that person. That's not what he's saying. He's telling them you have a wrong sense of priorities. And the warning that he gives to Ephesus is about taking away their lampstand. Now, like we said, there are other churches who are criticized in this passage and told that they're going to be fought against. You're talking about things like persecution and dissolution and things like that. That's not the criticism for Ephesus. But remember, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be showing people Christ. We're supposed to be bringing people to Christ. If we start getting in the way, what's happening? We're not shining light anymore. So what does Christ say? If you don't get this right, Ephesus, I'm going to take away your lampstand. Now you become indistinguishable from the world around you. You become dark. You're not shining light. You're not presenting those things to the world. As individuals, as Hope Church, as the church, we need to be sensitive to this. The church in our culture, broadly speaking right now, is having a serious crisis with this particular problem. We are in a phase where the world is having a very difficult time telling the difference between us and the rest of the world. Notice, this is not about doctrinal things. It's not because the world doesn't know what we believe, sort of. The problem is that there's no distinguishable difference. It's like sports teams. Same prejudices, same bad attitudes, same mixed up priorities, different jerseys. We're not leading people to Christ. We're trying to drag them through all these other things. Let me reiterate again, because I know it's easy to misunderstand. The point is not that those things, politics, political parties, candidates, issues, how you interpret Genesis, how you interpret Revelation, it's not that there's no right or wrong answers. It's not that those aren't important. It's not that they don't have some kind of meaning. They're not the gospel. And if we try to put those things in the way first, if we're identified that way, if that's our energy, our attention, our time, we're not casting light. We are no different than the rest of the world and the world has no reason to think that we're any different. So the command that's given to Ephesus is to get back to these fundamentals. Remember, twice they're called on to repent and they're never told that they're wrong about what they believe. Other churches, Jesus is saying, oh, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't believe that. That's not what he says. Ephesus is called on to repent. There's a point in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking and he mentions that it's not good enough for a person just to say, well, I didn't commit adultery. I just fantasized about it. That's not good enough. What you think about in your mind is just as much part of your faith as what you actually do. In Ephesus, we see the same thing goes with priorities. It's actually not good enough just to have the right doctrines and the right beliefs. We have to apply them, live them, use them in the right way, in the right order. Otherwise, it's not working. Now, the promise that Jesus gives to Ephesus, very similar to what's given to the other churches. 
in the book. He mentions the tree of life in paradise. This again comes to this identity. I'm the one holding the lights. The people who overcome, I am going to bring you to where I am. So there's a positive sense behind all this. And this is where it starts to get a little more complicated, a little more triggering, right? This is the word. Accuracy and core truths is essential. This is one thing that is important. There really truly are some things that we as Christian believers have to take a stand on and we have to say, I absolutely categorically refuse to move. I am not going to change my mind. I am not going to tolerate. I am not going to flex. I am not going to pretend. This is a place I will take a stand. Those are important. Accuracy in those core parts of our faith, we need to stand up for that. Even if the world hates me, even if the world hurts me, I have to stand up for those things. However, let's again remember what we saw in those airplane cockpits. Undue attention, that becomes a distraction. That becomes divisive. Now we start looking at other things. We're spending too much time, too much attention on other things. We lose track of where we are on those fundamentals. We try to tell people, yeah, look at the inside of this supersonic jet. This is what it means to be a pilot. This and this and this and this and this and this and that and that. We can do the same thing with our faith. It's not our responsibility to drag people through all these conclusions and say, you know, the gospel says that once you get your politics and your doctrine and your clothes and everything else right, come to me and I will give you... No, that is not what it says. You come to Christ as you are, who you are, where you are, whatever you are. You might not stay that way, but you come to him with what you are. It's the core that we're supposed to be on. And if we lose focus of that, we lose our light. The world can't tell the difference between me as a Christian and the rest of the world if Jesus Christ is not the focus of the things I say and do and the way I do it. So we need to have an emphasis on core doctrines. Now, here's another place where this context helps us. Paul was talking to Ephesus decades before this letter came to John through Jesus Christ. What is he talking about when he talks to them there? It's a couple things that are helpful in here. This is from Ephesians 4. Not going to read all of this, just going to look at a couple of points here. Ephesians 4 verse 14 says, No longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15 says, Grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That's the important aspect of this. There's always going to be things that are blowing us back and forth. There's always going to be some new social movement or fad or political party or group or person, controversy, interpretation. There's all this stuff that's going to blow us around. It's not my responsibility, and it's not a good idea for me to try to nail every single leaf down to the floor. I don't need to do that. I don't want to be blown around by that. What's the solution to that? Grow up into Christ. As long as that's my direction, that's my focus, everything else basically takes care of itself eventually. Verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now here he's talking about non-believers. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Notice what he says. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated because of the ignorance that is in them. We cannot expect people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ 
to act like they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That doesn't make sense. And there's a reason for that. Again, it's not my job to tell somebody, first I'll show you how to think, act, speak, whatever, like a Christian, and then you can, then you'll have a relationship with Jesus. That's not how this works. Especially I don't have to convince them of my particular views on some of these things. That is not what this is about. People are alienated from Christ because they don't know Christ. They're not alienated from Christ because they have the wrong political stance or because they have the wrong social stance or because they have the wrong this or that. Maybe some of those things are affected by a lack of relationship. But my responsibility is to demonstrate Christ and bring people to Christ and let him go from there. Verse 24 in here also says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The solution is not bicker about this, bicker about that. What do you think about how old the earth is? What do you think about the end times? What do you... That is not how people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. There is a time and place for all of those things, just like our dials in the airplane. They're true, they're false. They're good, they've got their moments. There's a time when, yes, the guy flying that thousand mile an hour plane needs to look at one of those dials and make a decision. You're right, it happens sometimes, but that's not the main thing that he's doing or that he's there for. So it's core doctrines that we're supposed to focus on. Salvation, sanctification. That's what we see in Ephesus, growing into Christ. This brings up the question of what are not core doctrines. Here's where things get more personally convicting, challenging to us. If it's not directly related to salvation or to holiness, it's not a core issue. It's just not. If it's not whether or not a person's spending eternity with God and whether they have a right relationship with him, it just isn't there. That does not mean that whatever it is that we're looking at or talking about is false. I, I will repeat this for those keeping track. What are we at now? Six? Seven times? It is not that those things have no right answer or wrong answer. The point is not that everybody's opinion on Genesis is right. Everybody's opinion on Revelation is right. That's not the point. It's not to say every politician is good. <laughs> right. Every politician is bad. Every political party, every social movement. No, there are real impacts to those things. Those things matter. That's not the point. The point is even if it's true, it can be a distraction if we're spending undue time on it. And here we go. Politics and political parties, cultural fads, social movements, conspiracies, all these different things... If I didn't say something in that list that made you go, hmm, wait a minute, give me a second and I'll come up with something else. There's going to be these things that we're gonna struggle with, that we're gonna see that are important to us. Some things are important to me. I see why these things matter and I care. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just have to be careful not to get the wrong way of approaching them. How I support things and what I support is important. What I oppose and how I oppose it is important. You guys have heard Sean say a lot of times, we want to be known for what we're for more than what we're against. Again, we need to be known as people who show Christ, emphasize Christ, knowing that whatever comes from that is what comes from that. Because there's a lot of important things, tons of important things. Only a few things are essential. It's not that we shouldn't have opinions. It's not that we can't have views on those other things. We should. We should be able to use the light of Christ to illuminate all these other things. But what we shouldn't do is make that the main thing that we experience and that we get into. So a couple questions that I have here that are self-examination. These are good things for us to think about. 
which is why we aren't going to go through all of them in real deep detail right now. One of them is, what aren't I willing to give up? When I think of something in politics, culture, society, faith, doctrine, church, family, anything like that, if I think of something and I say, what am I not willing to give up? Okay, is that one of these core doctrines? Is that something that's explicitly tied to salvation or my relationship with Jesus and how I live that out? Because if it's not, I need to be willing to say, then I guess if I lose that argument, in quotes, if I lose that argument, then I guess I lose that argument. How do others identify me? All right, I brought this up before. I've been up talking for a while, so I'm glad I finally got to this. People at Speedway, gas stations around here know me as the unsweetened iced tea guy. Because that's what I get. I go and I get my unsweetened iced tea and I leave. That's how they know me. Because that's the contact they have with me. And that's okay. Here's the question. As those people get to know me more and better, how does their perception of who I am and what I am change? Is it Jeff the unsweetened iced tea guy? Is it Jeff the gun nut? Is it Jeff, the guy who's really obsessed with this one particular verse in the Bible that he just will not let go and has to talk about? Is it Jeff, the political guy? Is it Jeff, the guy who's all about opposing this one particular thing or this idea? Do you see the, the difference? How do they start to identify me as they get to know me better? What is really, truly the thing that's driving me and who I am? Do I draw lines when they're necessary? but only when they're necessary. Am I willing to take things and say, nope, I understand. I'm going to earn ridicule, hatred, all sorts of things from the world, but I'm not flexing on this. How am I spending time, energy, and ministry? It's really easy for us to take things that we think are important and a big deal and come up with reasons why, but no, this one, this one's important. This one's really a big deal. Yeah, but is it? Is it really? We call it a hobby horse. Uh, you know, people of a certain generation remember those horses on springs or a rocking chair. You sit on it, you go back and forth, but you don't get anywhere. Some of these debates can get like that. We can just not actually get anywhere. How am I spending my time and my energy? What does your Facebook feed look like? What does your Twitter feed look like? What are you spending most of your time talking, arguing, debating, fighting, worrying about? That tells you something about how you're doing this thing. This question is a little bit more unique to the West, especially in the United States. People who've done missions overseas know this is not a question that other cultures struggle with. One thing that sometimes gets us in trouble is as believers, we see things that the world disagrees with us on. They go in a different direction. They push against us. They push away from us. They get mad at us over. And we have a tendency to go, oh, I'm being persecuted. That's not the same thing. Just because culture doesn't act Christian, newsflash, it's not. It's not going to act like it knows Jesus Christ. We can't expect it to. Just because culture doesn't agree with me, doesn't support me, doesn't like me, doesn't mean I'm persecuted. And sometimes that gives these things a false sense of importance. Oh, we have to fight for this thing. Because if we don't fight for this thing, then we're submitting to persecution. No, a lot of these things are just preference. We need to show people Jesus Christ. And the best way to do that is to make sure that my witness demonstrates joy. Who I am in Christ and what he offers me is a gift. 
And that's something I want other people to see as a gift that they're interested in. I want people to see my faith and my relationship with Christ as something that makes them say, that's the reason why he wants to help people and love people and care for people. That's the thing I want to see. Yeah, he's willing to take a stand sometimes. Every once in a while, he'll get up there and he'll just put his foot down. But you know what? At the end of the day, what is it that I can tell people what that is? I want to be able to tell people what that is. And anytime in my life, people are seeing something else that's driving me, that means that I as a Christian am not doing what I'm supposed to do. Does my witness demonstrate joy or is it just like the rest of the world? I'm just ticking a couple different boxes on the menu, switching jerseys, and here I am, indistinguishable. So coming back to where we were, are we shining the light or are we casting shadows? It is important for us to do this. And another thing that I think we, we sometimes forget is when we choose our priorities correctly, it makes our witness that much more powerful. When the world knows that I as a person, we as a church or the church generally focuses on the things that are really important, when we decide to step outside that circle and look at something in politics or culture or doctrine or whatever and say this here? No. I can't flex on this. I absolutely cannot. It makes that witness more powerful because people recognize this is integrity speaking. This means something. That's the reason that they're standing up against this. So please understand, it is good for us to bring people to things that the light illuminates. It is good for us to take ourselves and each other and say, here is what a relationship with Jesus Christ will show you and will tell you, but we have to get people to that relationship first. That has to be where we're going. We can't pick other things and say, yeah, but, yeah, but. I understand it's hard. It's difficult to let these things go. It's tough to look at that and go, yeah, but what if culture just completely tears this away from me? There's people in the world for the name of Christ who've had a lot worse taken away from them. There's a moment in Matthew where Jesus has a conversation with a man who's very wealthy. And the guy says, how am I supposed to be saved? Jesus says, well, I guess you could try to do all these good things. And the guy says, I do all those good things. Jesus says, great, get rid of all of your money and then come and follow me. Well, here's the problem. When the guy is told, get rid of all your money and then come and follow me, he walks away. He can't do it. Why? Because for him, he's so strongly identified with being rich he just, he could not set that aside to follow Christ. I cannot let my views on all of these other things, as important as they are, I can't let them distract from what's happening. At the end of the day, I need to be willing to let those things go. If you're somebody who's looking at church or the church and you see those things and you say, that's the reason I don't want to have anything to do with the church, because that's what I see. I see all those distractions and all those other ideas and all those things. I understand but you need to understand that's exactly what those things are. They are distractions. They are side items. They are there. And at the end of the day, those are ultimately just excuses because the core of the gospel is there. Those things really are there and they are true. And if you're somebody who sits here and says, I understand that Jesus is supposed to be the focus. He's supposed to be the light. He's supposed to be where we're coming from. But I'm not 100% sure that I, I'm, I'm fully on that team. I don't know that I've got that relationship. I don't know 
that I'm in a right state with Christ, then don't leave without talking to somebody. One of us up here, one of the pastors, somebody, because that's where we need to start. All these other issues are distractions. My responsibility as a Christian is to show people the light of Christ, not getting in the way, not casting shadows, not because those other things are not important, but because if I distract from the gospel, if I distract from who I am, what I am, where I am in Jesus Christ, I am not living out the purpose that he saved me for and that he gave to me. So please pray with me. Father, we appreciate the things that you have given us in your word. We thank you that it is eternal, that it's perfect, uh, and it's challenging. Lord, we pray that you give each and every one of us the courage to look at ourselves and understand where and how you're calling on us to draw these lines and set these priorities. We pray that you would give us a witness that radiates joy and hope. Let us bring people to that. We pray that you would protect us and the things that we attempt to do for you and for your kingdom. Thank you for our services, for the freedom, for the technology, the space, and all the things that you give. Uh, Lord, we also ask that you would be with those in our church who are hurting, who are suffering. Uh, we, we know that there's issues that need to be taken care of. Help us, Father, to help, to be your hands and feet. Be with us now. Bring us back again together safely. We thank you for this in your name. Amen.